Hi everyone, it's Tony Nash with Plugged and Unplanned and I'm excited today because I'm interviewing an author as I normally do, but he's a good buddy of mine. And so I'm really excited to have Tim Ash on the line for a podcast. Welcome, Tim. <laughs> Tony. Thanks. And as you can tell, he's an American, so let's not hold it against him. Hey, no, put, a, put a prawn on the barbie, mate. Oh, there you go. He's uh, been spent enough time on... On, uh, on the Australian shores. Tim is a, a world-renowned uh, speaker. He um, does, I don't know, 70 to 100 public speaking events a year, something like that. He's all over the place. He's an expert in uh, landing page optimization and websites, so anything to do with your website and driving traffic and understanding how, how consumers kind of connect with an organization. Tim has worked with some of the largest organizations in the world to assist them to to achieve their online goals and he's taken a a deviation away from what he would normally do something that he's very <laughs> passionate about in his next book um, and that is about which is still very much connected Tim right because it's about the brain uh, tell us a little bit about what you've what mischief you've been up to over the last year or so and and what you've what you've got for us yeah, well, as, as you mentioned, um, I'm, what I'm known for is what's called landing page optimization. That's the book title or conversion rate optimization. The basic idea is once somebody comes to your website, how do you convince a higher percentage of people to act? So it's about making websites more efficient. And for about 19 years, I ran an agency and we worked with uh, Nestle's and Google's of the world on down and created $1.2 billion in documented value. Um, and most of that was actually using these durable principles of what's now known as neuromarketing or uh, kind of understanding how our unconscious brain works. And that was part of my own graduate work. Uh, so that's always been an interest of mine. So I'd say I'm coming full circle to come back to the brain. So the title of your new book is Unleash the Primal Brain, Demystifying How We Think and Why We Act. Right, so it's not too much of a deviation. You've obviously been working on, on the you know human instinct uh, through your work and just and our conditioning. Obviously, you've been watching that for many years, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, marketing is a particular application of evolutionary psychology. It's focused on getting people to act or to change their behavior, as the case may be. There are lots of different fields that touch on this. Behavioral economics would be another one. Medical imaging. Uh, habit formation, public policy, all of those are kind of uh, things where you're trying to convince someone to nudge them in the direction of either better behavior or the desired behavior. This book is really about evolutionary psychology without application. So this is the why behind our brains, not necessarily applied to any area. So I don't like to give too much away about a book because then it, uh, you know, why buy it then? And we're here, of course, to promote authors and get people to buy it. But um, at the same time, we, you know, we do want to get like a bit of an insight into how the, you know, how what they go, you know, what's in store or, or what how the book's going to serve them. And I think your book is is like that. I've had a chance to read. I won't say I've finished it yet. I'm reading it, but I've read a lot of it. Mm. Um, and I think you even talk about it as being some some what of a user manual uh, for one of the most powerful things we have at our disposal, our brain, is, is, that, um, is that really true for you? And, and as the author, do you actually, have you, have you gained personal insight for yourself and running your own life by kind of chunking it down? Oh, absolutely. I'd say there's really kind of three um, types of people might be interested in the book. There's, as I mentioned, of course, the business and marketing uh, sales folks, how to persuade people. That's obviously a core part of psychology. Another would be anyone interested in relationships or communities. So anything from culture to politics, to better intimate relationships, how we interact and what really drives us is critical to that, are very highly social beings. And the final part, and I've certainly had my share of insights and takeaways when I was writing it, is for personal development. Um, if you want to understand yourself, pretty good idea to understand how your brain evolved and what makes you tick. So I think there's something in there for each of those types of folks. Mm. So, and so um, when it's being 
released and published in Australia first. Um, of course, I know who's the publisher, us, <laughs> Book, Booktopia Publishing. So we're really excited about publishing your book. Um, and that comes out in September October. 1st. Yeah, no, September this is uh, it, probably by the time this podcast airs, uh, it'll be live out there. Yeah, so pre, pre-order now um, for those that get to hear it probably when we really... We might be releasing this next week. And then, uh, and for those of you that are listening afterwards, then uh, it's already out in Australia. But we are ahead of the curve because it's not out in North America until when? Until uh, April of 2021. You're way ahead of the curve. This right, is- right. So our brains and our thinking are going to be so much more advanced if well, you buy it earlier. Yeah, and it seems like you know, you're able to flatten the curve a lot more effectively than we can in America in a lot of ways. So Right. <laughs> Yeah, at the moment, perhaps yes. Um, so, so when you when you um, think about um, this book, because you've worked on it a while and it's pre-launch, so um, where do you see this kind of making its greatest impact? How do you, for those that are kind of listening to us today and going, oh, should I buy Tim's book or not? What what are some of the key insights that you're hoping that you're going to get feedback on? Or, I mean, I'm sure some of them will be out of left field and you didn't expect, you know, you don't expect everything that's going to come, but what, what, what is your initial thought of how this is going to play out? Well, so the, the thing that I think we're, we're all laboring under a very powerful illusion. And that's what I start the book with, which is the big lie of rationality that people are so special and wonderful. And it's because we're able to think and we're rational beings and we can plan and we're logical and that's not really important at all. Your logical brain is asleep most of the time. It's the primal brain that's in charge and making most of the decisions. So I think there's vast ignorance uh, among people about how they really make decisions and what motivates them uh, from moment to moment or um, in, in particular circumstances. So I think it's, it's critical for people to understand that the problem has been that it's a, a bunch of, and I've dissociated fields. Everybody's in their own silo. People are doing research in economics, in social policy, in psychology, and nobody's tied this together because they're all like the blind men touching different parts of the proverbial elephant. And what I'm trying to do here is really to synthesize all of that information in a non-technical way, hopefully a very accessible, readable way um, for people and say, hey, this is the whole arc of evolution from the earliest you know, insects to human beings. And we picked up stuff along the way and it's still under the covers working for us and on our behalf. And so if you want to understand how your brain works, you kind of have to redo the arc of evolution in order and pick up what we picked up along the way. Mm. So, so from your own observation of yourself without going into any too great a personal detail, but what are some of the practical things that you've noticed that like you changed the way that you I don't know, maybe exercised or thought or engaged with people? What, how, how practically do, do, can you apply? I mean, it's great to know how the brain actually, like for me, I'm, I don't know how this computer works. You and I are talking, right? yeah. we're having a conversation, um, but in the background, there's a lot of things that are going on that I don't necessarily need to know. Um, I guess I do need to know if it stops working um, yeah. and what have I got to do to try and fix that? So in a similar way, how, how is that kind well, of... Well, I'll give you a sense. I, I can, for example, understand this political moment. I can understand how people um, can be tribal. One of the keys to understanding people is that we evolved for culture spread. We evolved to take in knowledge and transmit it to others. And in order for that culture to spread, for example, we have to basically ape and copy all of those people around us and copy their ideas without changing them. What that means in practice is we're actually more willing to believe what other people tell us and learn culture than our own eyes and ears. We don't believe facts or things we experience directly. We'd rather rely on the cultural knowledge around us because that's been our evolutionary advantage. And so you can see us, for example, self-sorting into various kinds of tribes uh, politically and 
you know, just ignorance of medicine would be a perfect example, anti-vaccination people. There's really strong evolutionary reasons for that. And so you can't say, well, how can those people be so stupid? Well, it's because as a group, spreading culture, for example, helps you survive. Right. So what it's, because it, um, I'm just trying to explore on behalf of um, the listener and the readers of your book, then this is a way of, you know, decoding what's kind of going on so you get more choice back for yourself is that yeah yeah absolutely that the fact that we're for example much more motivated by uh avoiding pain than we are chasing pleasure if i said hey you might have just won the lottery versus um i'm gonna burn your hand on this hot stove i know which one you're gonna react to more um Mm. there's also a lot in there about fairness about uh storytelling and the purpose of stories um sleep, um, gender differences, language. I mean, it's all in there mm-hmm. in a coherent kind of understanding. Right. And for what age group do you think, uh, you know, when, like how young can, you know, can your readership go? Um, any adult, I'd say um, 18 and up. I mean, there's nothing particularly, uh, you know, X rated in the book or anything like that. Uh, but uh, 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 you know, it's, it's, well, it's a nonfiction book. I've tried to make it very enjoyable and easy to read. And so also, as you know, out as an audio book through Booktopia as well. Um, so if you prefer to do it that way, that's fine too. I, I was thinking more, you know, it sounds like um, teenagers um, would benefit from kind of exploring some of the, these um, the faculties of your brain, how your brain works, the history of your brain. And, yeah. and make, like the, the, the younger that you get to know this, the more, um, the more you're going to feel like you're in, you know, in control of your life and not being manipulated by society. Mm, so right. how, how, like, can it be read? Um, or you know how they talk about brains of of teenagers are still forming up to the age of twenty four. Like, yeah, is, is your brain? No, that, that's absolutely right. We're we're not exactly a blank slate, a tabula rasa, if you will, but. You are, as I mentioned, our advantage is the culture we learn, the cultural package that we learn from those around us. So we're very weird when we're born. We're covered with huge amounts of fat. You look at a baby chimp, they're not gigantic fatsos like we are, right? And our brains don't develop fully till our mid-20s in terms of our ability to regulate emotions and executive function is what it's called. Uh, so you know, basically we kind of delay the growth of our body till our teenage years so that the brain can wire up and learn as much as it can while maintaining everything else in a lower energy cost. And then mm. we reach physical and sexual maturity very quickly. That's a, an abrupt transition. I know you have teenagers in the house as well. Uh, it can be a, a bucket of cold water when your cute little kids turn into independent adult-like creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. So, when you um, when you think back to you know components of the book, without as I said, I don't want to give too much away. But were there any like major aha moments, or like oh my god, you know, just that just makes so much sense to me, or that that um, that the the um, why isn't that not more in in mainstream kind of thinking? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, there are are lots of things like that. And by the way, you don't have to keep saying, I don't want to give too much away because this book is already like distilled down to the essentials and very ambitious. So I have 200, you know, gold nuggets in there. So if I give a dozen of them away here today, it's not going to be a problem. So it's not like, oh, good, now you don't have to read the book anymore. Well, but one of the huge takeaways for me was the importance of sleep. You know, we have these very complex social organizations but unlike our you know, great ape cousins who sleep 10 to 15 hours a day, we only sleep about seven to nine. And we have a very different kind of sleep. Um, and it allows us to recalibrate our social interactions every night. It allows us to be more creative um, and it simulates dangerous events so we can practice them in our sleep and, instead of real life. So the purpose, the importance of sleep, what happens when you don't get enough sleep? You know, people talk about, well, diet and exercise and get some rest, right? That's completely backwards. If you actually knew how important sleep was, that's number one, two, and three, and then you can throw in diet and exercise after that. Right, wow. I won't shortchange my sleep. One of my big takeaways is 
I don't care when my little vampire children stay up until I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock because my body clock wakes me up around six in the morning. I'm getting right. my eight hours no matter what. Interesting. So 10, 10 PM. And of course, if you think about the primal brain, which what's your, you know, your, your unlocking um, and unleashing it. But the, um, I can only imagine that, um, that our ancestors uh, and not that long ago were having to be a kind of half asleep because the, you know, the fear of, of being, I mean, we're making assumptions here, but your, your safety while you're sleeping could, could have been at risk. That's um, exactly right. You know, so the, the big kind of change that allowed humans to diverge from other great apes was we came out of the tree and we started walking upright and that's when our brains grew. And that was because we got to socialize more on the ground and had to form larger protective groups so that the, the predators wouldn't eat us. And so usually most people were sleeping, but I'm sure there are a few guards that were kind of awake on the night shift to make sure that everyone was safe. So that's why our sleep had to really shorten because we couldn't afford the luxury of sleeping 15 hours in a tree somewhere. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So have you, have you through this process then kind of got a, a better three dimensional view of how I guess the late uh, humans have really developed in the, in the whole kind of, you know, journey of, of the first um, microbe that, became a life form like it's it's all happened relatively late on the on the time on the time span and yeah um, uh, in even just you know homo sapiens and and the way that we have civilized ourselves over the last 10 15 20,000 years um, has in in proportion to everything else is is quite you know it's quite squashed down at the very last tail of of the journey yeah, absolutely. That, how have you how have you kind of given that accelerated learning that's kind of gone on? How does that then fit in to what you're talking about? Well, okay. So, so again, the, we're kind of thinking about the brain as layers on top of layers on top of layers. Nature kept what worked and added some new capabilities or emphasized them differently. So, when people, for example, say dopamine, it's it's like the good, feel good chemical. Well, yeah, it's for for human beings to go to raves or something? Not exactly. I mean, if it's been around and it exists in fruit flies and insects, then it must have a more general function other than for human beings to have a good time at parties, right? So right. all of these basic chemicals like um, dopamine and endorphins and things like that have been around for hundreds of millions of years in other animals, and they're doing the heavy lifting and doing most of the work. Uh, so I'd say, you know, what makes us distinctly human and what's allowed us to spread like a plague of locusts on the planet is our cultural package and ability to learn. What you said about broken computers was key. So in the book, I use the analogy of to get the benefit of driving a car, you need to know the rules of the road, the gas pedal, the brakes, how to turn on the ignition. And then you get all the massive benefits of driving the car. But you don't have to know thermodynamics, finite element modeling to make sure it's a crush proof structure. You don't need to know how to program every sensor in the car or the manufacturing process by which it was built. Even top automotive engineers would only know a tiny fraction of that. So we're forced to rely on other specialists and we just kind of blindly get the functional uses of things without knowing how or even why they work. Um, mm -hmm. That accounts for our, I guess you call it success, but I think, you know, runaway growth before the, herd level crash is probably a little more accurate. Mm. So I guess I, I'm going to try and make it, um, I'm going to put myself out there now and be a little bit more vulnerable um, than perhaps most journalists and interviewers would do. Um, I've uh, struggled with my weight um, and exercise over the last several years. Why? Well, Booktopia has more of a been a priority, family, other things, and and you know, eating sweets and and sugar-based foods is always, uh, um, you know, I can I do feel that it's um, that the you know there's some inner part of my brain that has been programmed to um, to rely on that. I mean, other people use smoking, alcohol, and other things which I don't use. Um, so, what what am I going to be? How like is it the these 
not the neocortex that you know the, the thinking the logical brain am i have do i have to how do i kind of surrender then to the fact that these these other primal brains that are just you know quite frankly in control and no, no matter how much of the greatest thinking i can do to try and you know, be be as healthy and eat as well as i possibly can but ultimately the primal brain which is what you're talking about in your book um, is going to always have the overriding control how do how do we all like everyone's going to have their own thing and for me it's uh, eating and making time for exercise and sleeping i would suggest as well um, but is there through through reading your book or working on these kind of um, areas can you get any kind of control back or or uh, some there's good news and bad news because i do talk about diet and weight control i talk about drugs and addiction of various kinds and how those mechanisms work in the brain so that, that's all in there for sure uh so the good news and the bad news about weight in particular is about about 80 percent or 0.8 correlation of it is hereditary guess what that's the same as hereditary height and you've never heard someone say you should drop a little height you know that mm. uh, but it's about at the same level of kind of her heritability and your body's really good at maintaining things within certain optimal ranges right so your blood pressure your ph um you know things like that they're automatically maintained and within certain ranges and so the same thing with food, there's a, a number of hormones that are involved in this, but basically there's a homeostasis or kind of a set point that your body wants to return to. So if you get too thin, it wants to put on weight. If you get too fat, it wants to bring it down a bit. The problem is when we evolved for food scarcity, and most of the time we lived on the knife edge of survival, that, was, that worked pretty well. But right now you have giant agro businesses that have figured out how to manipulate you and they load it up with sugars, with salts, with fats. That, that combination is basically irresistible. Like it never occurred in the wild. So whenever we run across it, we gorge. And uh, we're just being taken advantage of and creating worldwide you know, obesity epidemics because you know, food makers make more money off of us. So in terms of navigating your way out of there, um, uh, we, I mean, you must have observed that in, in something. Is it literally just drawing the line? Like, does it need to, with it internally, do you just need to say to, be able to say to yourself, right, that's it, I'm done with that, and that's going to get you there? Or does it... No, do I, willpower power? doesn't work. Willpower doesn't work. It's not enough anyway. Um, I think one of the things that, um, if you want to look at, again, how we lived... Uh, intermittent fasting probably comes the closest. So going for at least 16 hours or maybe short calorie days, there's a, a British doctor who publicized the, the fast diet, the 5-2 diet it's also known. That kind of stuff actually works and it's not too painful. But you have to have a certain discipline because like, yeah, today I'm not going to have too much to eat. Um, that, again, when the refrigerator during our pandemic is you know a few feet away or a few meters away, that's that's a hard call to resist um, but as close as you can get to that to proper sleep which by the way lowers your stress levels and allows you to take off weight you can't drop weight when you have cortisol circulating in your system so regardless of calories in and out so proper sleep to lower your stress and intermittent fasting that's kind of your best bet combination right there interesting sounds like it's still up to me i can't say tim the guru he he <laughs> sorted me out i'm i'm now at a perfect weight um which may obviously it makes sense but it's kind of like um that resonates with me the term in terms of the sleeping like you just okay get that in order because if you get that in order that will give you unlock a few uh, doors to other areas that you you're wanting to get access to and deal you know deal with weight control or yeah and or, then the other thing is um sleep is critical to calibrating our social natures you know we're highly social by the way i want to question something you said earlier which is that the neocortex is the reasoning and logical part of the brain that new part of the brain the big part that we think of uh, is really there to model our social relationships we have the largest group size available to us between 100 and 200 individuals with whom we can have kind of an intimate knowledge of in our tribe and figuring out okay if 
he is the uncle of the cousin of the brother-in-law of the girl that if my son hits on her, then there'll be consequences. To have that kind of social reasoning is what your brain does automatically. And whenever it's not computing two times four is eight, it actually defaults to social thinking. That's what it spends every spare second doing and when you're awake and when you're asleep in, in most cases. So that's mm -hmm. what the neocortex is really for, modeling the consequences of social dynamics and, and decisions we make in the social sphere. Uh, it's, it's, it's only used for other stuff like designing rocket ships and microwave ovens very rarely. In fact, my own suspicion is that people on the autistic spectrum who actually don't uh, deconstruct uh, human relationships and have a hard time with them, they basically have more capacity for those kind of engineering and discovery and science things. And I think they're the ones that have largely been moving the science forward. But the rest of us who are concerned with social stuff, we're the spreaders of those ideas and we're really good socially in getting people to accept the ideas. That's a, that is interesting. So then the, the mind versus the brain. I mean, how do you unpick all of that? Because the brain is obviously an organ that sits there doing its thing. Um, the mind is you know, a collection of your thoughts and, and what you've heard and beliefs and other things. How does that all how, how do you unpick that? Okay, well, I, I'm, I, I, I kind of sidestepped that philosophical discussion early in the book by saying I'm going to refer to it as the brain. It's an organ. It's inside your body. It's competing with other energy systems that were also critical. So the reason we, you know, our brain uses about three times as much energy as the brains of other great apes. About a quarter of your resting calories are there just to feed those, you know, kilogram and a half of brain matter. That's a massive amount of energy. In order to compensate for that, we have to have weaker bodies. We have much weaker bodies. A chimp is about 30% stronger pound for pound than a human being, much faster and uh, more violent. So we can compete physically with bodies. We have to tone those down. We have weaker digestive systems too uh, because we pre-cook food and can unlock their energy more easily, but we're not really good at it. So digestion, voluntary movement, and the brain, those are the big energy systems. And because our brain is kind of disproportionately large, the other two have to, had to take a back seat to it. Mm. Interesting. So, so now that the book is complete and you've, you're, you can't go on the road and do all of your public speaking, how do you, um, how do you see this playing out in terms of connecting with with the other social, your social network of, of humans around the world. How does that all change? And, and, and is, it, is, the, um, is it all changing? Facebook, um, and you talked before about how everyone is automatically dealing with their social network all the time. Um, now we have these social networks that have us much more connected with people that we went to school with or that we traveled around the world with 30 years ago. I certainly have people like that, that I'm still in touch with us. Um, where, where in the past we would have lost all those connections. What, how do you, how does it all play out now in the, in the 2020s going forward? Well, I think that um, social networks are, are natural and will form tribes around things we care about. Um, and I feel more affinity for example, for uh, people like you who live literally half a world away from me than I do with some of my neighbors. Um, mm. So now we have the ability to form kind of more cohesive tribes over distances and maintain those. So that's a good thing. But there's still a limit over how many total kind of intimate, again, I'll call them not physical, but intimate relationships we can have, which is about 100 to 200 people. Um, so that was designed so in a, in a small group that we evolved for, hunter-gatherers, uh, we know everybody personally and you didn't need rules or laws or codes of conduct because you had a personal relationship or knowledge of everybody. Sometimes that misfires at larger scales. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, celebrity gossip magazines. I'm sure you have them in Australia. Um, we think like by gossiping about celebrities, we're trading some kind of valuable currency. Well, that only made sense when they were actually in our tribe. But knowing what um, Rihanna is doing right now or 
whether the Queen of England is doing whatever she does, doesn't help me at all. That's not really currency. So it's kind of a, when we scale these things up, sometimes they misfire and celebrity worship and gossiping about celebrities is useless. Whereas gossiping about your immediate neighbors is actually very useful and is the social glue that keeps small tribes together. Mm. So when, when you think about um, going back on tour and, and doing the stuff that you normally do, consulting and so forth after the pandemic, what is there going to be a shift just, and this is more observational, I think more than anything, given you spent a bit of time now working on, on the book and this kind of, this kind of content, is there going to be a shift you think as, as humans have had to recalibrate what's important to them or um, they spend more time with their families and their, their loved ones than ever before. Um, they've missed out catching up with the friends that they used to catch up with a lot um, because of, can't travel, can't go to sporting events, can't go to their houses. How, how are we going to emerge from this kind of odd hibernation? Well, I have a, a personal kind of philosophical view of that and as well as a more practical one. On, on the one hand, we're the most hypersocial mammals on the planet. I mean, you could say ants cooperate in their millions, but they're essentially clones of each other. You know, whereas we can have ideas around money, or religion that involve billions of people that are acting in very different ways and then they could connect and understand each other, right? So we're highly social, we'll always seek that out. In fact, there's evidence that having a connected social life uh, is what makes you happiest. There's a longitudinal study out of Harvard, for example. Um, and that not having good social connections is the health equivalent of having a two pack a day cigarette habit in terms of life outcomes. You know, so we need social connection. And um, so that, as soon as that comes back, which is why people are kind of chomping at the bit and trying to bring it back even too fast, as soon as it's possible, we're gonna get back to that. That's just our nature. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think that'll change. Personally, uh, philosophically, I, I hope that the silver lining in all of this whole pandemic is that We'll slow down a little. We'll think about this cliff we're racing towards uh, in terms of planetary unsustainability. Um, that we'll, we have time for each other right now. The whole world is holding its collective breath. And um, I find people are much more open to being real. To, even if I'm connecting to them about a business issue, they're much more willing to go down deep and get personal. And to me, that's, that's the blessing of this time. Mm, interesting. I feel that as well. So when, when you're, in, you're obviously in the States, you're in California, um, how does the US kind of look at the rest of the world? And let's just say Australia and New Zealand who have gone up until just recently, particularly well with the pandemic, is there, are you, um, uh, this is just out of curiosity then, are you very internally focused? Because in America, um, the, the, you know, the rate of infection is really high. Uh, the death rate is really high. Um, do you get even a chance to look globally how everyone else is doing or is everyone so internally focused right now? Well, I, I've, I always try to stay informed and uh, so do most of my friends. And mainly what we feel when we hear about the news from the rest of the this developed world is that, you know, we have morons running our government um, and it's like everybody else has figured it out. Every other industrialized country has had a wave, brought it down and are managing it. Uh, we're doing the worst possible. We have no testing, no contact tracing, no self-discipline, no uniform laws. So this is gonna be a game of whack-a-mole where one region manages to knock it down and they'll import idiots from another region to restart it again. And meanwhile, that's just battering our economy with no end in sight. And that's not even to mention the human toll, which. They say it's about 170,000, but if you look at deaths above normal, it's over 200,000 people dead already, which is almost right. as big as the U.S. losses in, in all of World War II. We're going to get there real quick. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a very interesting human experiment, of which many books will be written about, which we will sell a lot of over the next <laughs> uh, 10 years or so, um, because we've not really gone through anything. I mean, obviously, the... Um, the Spanish flu was a global pandemic as well, but 
um, we weren't as um, aware around the world what was going on live as we are today, how everyone's being impacted. So, so yeah, I mean, we, have, we have technological solutions for some of this, for example, for contact tracing. If someone is known to be um, infected, then you can see their cell phones of everyone they were near and notify those people via anonymous text that they should get tested. I mean, even basic things like that, that other countries have done, we're just refusing to do in the US here. It's shocking. I know, but we have that too, but I don't think it's working. So even though we've all downloaded it, or a lot of us have, um, there's something about that program uh, that is not functional. So ah. the intent was there, but the, um, but the execution, execution. <laughs> was not great. Um, so just coming back to the book then, because it is exciting. It's almost out here in Australia, as we said earlier, unleash, what did we end up going with? Unleash your primal, your primal brain. brain. Yes. Demystifying yeah, how we think and why we act. Cause we were thinking unleash the primal brain in the beginning. That's what happens when you've with, um, been associated with a book from the early stages, you kind of know how it starts to being a publisher is very different than just simply getting someone else's book and, and selling it. So yeah, unleash your primal brain. That's right. So, so about, you know, about the, um, some of those you know, 200 nuggets that are in there, what are some of the others that you think about? Oh, I'd really kind of want to bring that up today and let people know about that or anything that um, you want to share. Yeah. Well, we generally we're bred, like I said, for culture and cooperation. And one of the big things that uh, we do and we get a lot of joy out of, and this is different than, mammal level dominant stuff is what's called prestige. In other words, to spread culture, you have to both be willing to figure out who to learn from. And on the other end, you have to have somebody who wants to be a mentor and wants to actively teach you for the prestige payoff, not for coercing you or getting what they want out of you, or making slave labor out of you in order to learn from them. Mm. Um, so culture transmission via teaching and learning is is such a critical thing. And you can be a specialist in anything, collecting rare coins, playing Bach concertos, or being an agent for superstar athletes. And if you're the best in your field, people will seek you out and learn from you in order to transmit that culture. So that's a key part of being human. So I think a lot now about what are these domains that I wanna have prestige in and how do I pay it forward and teach others what I know. And that's one of my biggest reasons actually for writing this book. So, so in terms of the book, in terms of, from your, I guess from your own personal perspective, um, I know you talk about that it's not for the, um, the, um, the professional, you know, brain surgeons. It's, it's a manual for every, the everyday person to, to kind of get a little bit more insight to how, your, your brain works and why you do the things you do. And then it's like, Oh, once you kind of that aha moment when you go, Oh, that's why I'm doing that. Therefore maybe I've got a little bit more uh, um, influence on how I might address something that has been going on and on and on. But what about um, your way, the way that you then kind of engage with others, um, which I think is, once you kind of know how your own brain's working, does it give you a bit more um, compassion or a bit more um, influence over some of the people that you love or work with or you meet on the street? How, how yes, is that kind yeah, of? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, for me personally, it's um, understanding that you know our need for acceptance and, and safety and uh, group acceptance especially drives so much of what we do. Um, and so I'm constantly asking myself when in interaction, there's the surface level and then there's the, what's the real ask? What are you asking at an animal level? Do you want safety, peace, love? Because a lot of, most things are driven by that. And if mm -hmm. we come back to those universal touch points, that really gives us a pretty durable and flexible system for approaching life. Uh, so this book is really about what the 8 billion of us on the planet have in common. It's not about our differences. It's about... Mm -hmm the basic wiring and, and how, how we approach life. That, that is a great um, quote there. I think, I think that's important to, it's kind of like, it, it frustrates me over, um, over the, the centuries and millennia that when you look at history and how it, we fought against each other or, or that 
you know, why do, why is one Christian um, sect better than another one? Well, you know, why is Methodist better than, than Catholic? And so, why are you fighting against each other? It's all Christian. Um, I find that uh, in the, really odd the way that um, we've divided ourselves over, over a lo long period forgetting that we're actually, if you get, keep going further and further back, that we're not divided, we're actually all connected. We're all part of the same group. And if an alien came from out of space and, and looked at us, we'd, they'd go, oh, that's the same species. And they wouldn't yeah. see anything. Yeah. Well, what's, is, but the thing to remember is we cooperate within groups, but there was competition among groups. So our whole history can, is a pretty bloody um, business. And so it had life or death consequences, whether your group was more cohesive and effective as a group. So we naturally form tribes and we naturally copy and ape every detail of the cultural package that, uh, that we download from those around us. And that, so we have tribalism built into us. I don't know that there's an escape from this. I mean, I went to, um, you know, Aussie rules football game while I was there in, in Brisbane. And, uh, you know, I became, uh, was it the team is, I think, uh, Carlton? Carl Carlton yeah. is from Melbourne and Brisbane Lions is from Brisbane. Yeah. Right, right. So I became a Carlton fan at that game. So I, I self-sorted into a little tribe. And right. uh, so, you know, we just do this automatically and it's not necessarily good, but it helped us to survive as individuals by belonging to tribes which were more successful. So I don't know that it's, all you can do is understand the cultural packages of the people around you being different from yours. For example, if I told you this story about the matador who deftly sidestepped the bull by swinging his cape and then slashed downward with the sword right between its shoulder blades and dispatched it. Okay. Now, if I tell that story to someone in Spain, they might think, okay, it's about the, the impeccable warrior that is the matador. It's about the culture. It's about heroism in the face of danger and all of this stuff, right? And then the people for the uh, ethical treatment of animals will think this is, a, this is a barbaric torture sanctioned and actually paid for by spectators and it needs to be abolished. Same story, but depending on which cultural package we have in our heads, we, ex we experience and react to things very differently. So the thing I keep thinking more about is just like, what is the cultural package of the person I'm interacting with right now? Right. Does that come from your background? You have to assume that in um, online marketing, which of course is of great interest to me being one of the founders and CEO of Booktopia. It's kind of like um, one size does not fit all. And, and does that, how does that then translate into business and into marketing and into other, you know, other pursuits that you are important to you? Uh, well, for, for business and marketing, it's obvious. I mean, everything begins and ends. The, the sun rises and sets on understanding your audience and your targets. So mm -hmm. it, basically it's, it's all about understanding. It's about building bridges. You can only tailor messages and know how they're going to be received. If you understand the cultural package of the receiver. You know, so, so that's, that's really key. And it's the same thing. Like in, in my last chapter, I have some prescriptions for being more primal. And one of them is to attach to larger and larger tribes. I mean, there's actually some fascinating study around politics that said, you know, we all have these kind of concentric layers of tribes. So ourselves, our family, our community, maybe our place of worship, our town, our nation, um, all of humanity, all life on earth, the universe, you know, we can keep drawing these larger circles. Well, what they found is that people that are politically, let's call it conservative, have a more local nexus. They care about smaller tribes, whereas the more progressive people care about animals and human rights and more universal concerns, right? So they're just looking at it through different prisms and some of it's genetic. Um, but, I, but again, it comes back to understanding what motivates the other person. So it's about the, ultimately about the platinum rule, understanding that I don't think the way you do. So do you want to others as they would have done onto themselves? That's yeah. the platinum rule. Yeah. So we're coming close to the end of our, of our one hour podcast. 
what other things um, do, do we want to make sure that we touch on so those that are listening can get great insight? I would hate to kind of, oh, we should have spoken about that. You know, you get to the end of one of these things and you go, oh, I should have mentioned that. So let's do that before we get to the end of it and go, um, <laughs> we, co we covered everything. Is there anything that um, from my perspective you thought, oh, you never asked me about that or, or we should have gone into this? I just well, like I said, I have these callouts in the book. You'll see they're delineated by the caveman hands ripping through the page and giving you the important stuff. But there are about 250 of them, and that's already a distillation inside of a distilled book. So I've made it really readable and accessible. But there is no dead weight in that book. It's it's written clearly. But there, it's just wall-to-wall -wall good stuff and insights. I, I honestly believe that, and every reviewer that, that has taken a look at the book has said the same thing. So it's, it's chock-full of, of insights, um, so I could go on for hours. <laughs> yeah, right, of course. And, I mean, I, as, as you know, I've read, you know, and as I said earlier, I've read a fair bit of it. So it's, it is fairly easy to to uh, read and navigate your way through and if you do want to just kind of focus on those insights it's it's not like you um that's gonna you had to read a lot of what else you could literally pick up a page and flick and open it up there and it could be relevant it wasn't like you got to start from the very beginning and work your way through no um, the organization of the book is more or less chronological if you will with from early life to what makes us distinctly human. But the, yeah, the insights, you could just read for those highlights. And I would encourage people, this is almost a case where I wouldn't recommend the audiobook because each of those call outs, you can stop and profoundly think about how, what it means in your life. Uh, so I, I don't expect my readers to be idiots. I expect them not to wrestle with it, but to do the homework and apply whatever is relevant to them, whether it's in business, relationships, or their personal life. So it's, it's, it's a book you'll return to again and again, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Just before we close off then, um, your book that you wrote uh, many years ago, Landing Page Optimization, in case uh, people who are listening do have a website, which I'm, every business in the world most likely does, um, that um, anything about your your book there that people might want to because it's still available and people can buy oh absolutely yeah the second edition uh, well the, between the two of them they sold over 50,000 copies which for a marketing textbook uh, for marketing practitioners is pretty much a home run and it's been translated into six languages as well um, I tried to make as much of it as, as I could be evergreen so there's still really solid information in there so if you want to improve your website and by the way I have some consulting services around that um, you know, ruthless website reviews where I don't pull any punches. Uh, so if you want to improve your website, yeah, pick it up. Landing page optimization, the second edition with the blue cover. Mm -hmm. And and if people also want to engage you and use, you're still consulting, aren't you, for for companies? Yeah, absolutely. If you marketing training, advisory, website reviews, or internet strategy, you just go to timash.com for that. And of course, the website for the book is primalbrain.com. Right. Yeah. Good. It's definitely worth mentioning, of course, but you can get it from Booktopia. You should um, get it from Booktopia. Pre-order today. In fact, um, we only ship to Australia and New Zealand. So I'm assuming that if someone who's listening to this around the world and they want a copy of it, um, they'd need to know someone here if they want the physical copy before April next year. But what about um, eBooks and it's available digitally yeah, already. Yeah, ebooks are available. Uh, they're available through Booktopia, and the audio book is also available through the Kobo partnership you guys have uh, through Booktopia yep. as well. So, whatever your flavor is, uh, it's available. If someone wants an autographed copy of the book, they can always reach out to me uh, on the website as well on primalbrain.com. Unfortunately, you you won't be able to hand deliver it until another probably eighteen months or something. <laughs> Not hand delivery, but but uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it costs uh, multiple times of what the book costs to ship it to someone, but I can get it done. <laughs> yeah. And, and so there, is the ebook available internationally? Yes, absolutely. Of... It's on all the major marketplaces, including uh, Booktopia. Yeah. But Kindle, they can get it on an Amazon. Yeah, yeah. On Amazon, uh, Kobo, Barnes & Noble. Yeah, absolutely. Apple, iTunes. But already they can do that yes. now. They can get it. Yes. And, and the same with the audio book. It's available on all the major platforms. And I narrated right. that myself, by the way. So hopefully you'll enjoy oh. it as well. Yeah, great.
And and so why is the physical book not coming out at the same time overseas out of curiosity? Uh, well, the um, U.S., the publisher that I'm working with has a cycle, an annual catalog. They want to pre-fill the bookstore channel, which is much larger in the U.S. And then there's some thinking that bookstores won't necessarily, physical bookstores come back until next year. So it's yeah. it kind of, we're hitting the early part of the spring window for 2021, which is the Yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it's, um, I'm looking forward to finishing off the book and applying it. And hopefully next time when we get to see each other and talk, I'll be 10 kilos lighter. Um, having, <laughs> and wiser too for having read yeah, it. <laughs> and, it's, and it's slept 25% more than I normally do. Um, that's so the key. Would, Tony, if that's what your one practical takeaway, you yeah, can yeah. get what high I hear you. I hear you. All right, already. The six hours last night was not enough. Not um, nearly. Seven to nine. Yeah, yeah, seven to nine. Um, not, not too far off, but I do feel like that starts to, what happens is, is when, you, when you short yourself on that, it starts to accumulate. And no, no, it was worse than that because our REM sleep, which is the most important for staying human and balanced, is tail-weighted. So robbing yourself of that last hour and a half sleep cycle at the end of the night, that's right. when you get about half of your nightly REM. Right, okay. And oversleeping, is there ever? I mean, Not a problem, it won't, won't happen. And teenagers both sleep later and sleep longer, so that's just normal. Is it? Okay, yeah. good. We're, we're, we, can, we can be re relieved that it's a global phenomenon. It's not just happening in our house. <laughs> <laughs> and for oldsters like you and me, one of the other natural parts of the sleep pattern is we do get sleep pressure in the early afternoon. So a short nap in the early afternoon across all cultures and times, that's part of our natural rhythms as well. So don't be so productive. Go take a nap once in a while. That's so great. So, look, Tim, it's just been great to catch up and uh, we wish you well with the book and we're so happy and proud to be publishing here in Australia under Booktopia Publishing and, and a Booktopia edition. So please, Tim Ash, uh, the, uh, Unleash Your Primal Brain. It's available now. You can pre-order it. It's out very, very soon. And, and we look forward to hearing feedback of how um, you, you enjoyed it, what you learned, what insights. And uh, Tim, thanks for coming on the program. Plug oh, plan. Tony, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.